Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Well, church, we have a treat for you today because two of my heroes in the faith are with us this morning. Uh, Randy and Julie Garris are here this weekend, and they're going to be leading a retreat for our staff and elders tomorrow, and Randy's here to preach for us this morning. Uh, Randy and Julie currently serve at Ozark Christian College, which is my alma mater, mentoring and training up young people who want to give their lives into vocational ministry, and before that, they served at College Heights Christian Church in Joplin, Missouri for several decades, leading that congregation faithfully and well to make an impact all around the world. I got to serve as an intern under Randy one summer and learned so much from him. Randy and Julie also did Rebecca and I's premarital counseling, and so I owe them a ton of money because it appears to be working, and they convinced Rebecca to marry me. So thank you very much. Would you join me in welcoming Randy Garris? And Rebecca has a list of things she still wants me to cover with him. It's very good to be with you. I, I know speakers say that all the time, but I mean it. There's so many relational ties. We, we loved, Julie and I loved Luke and Rebecca before they were even an item. And, and then I look at, you know, Riley you had down, Riley Weaver at, at our congregation for a long time. And, and then uh, Joey and Zoe are new to you, but not from us. And so just so glad for those connections. When um, Luke asked me to preach, his first line that he gave me was just preach one of your favorite sermons, which turns into a little bit of a humor from our place. I, I preached for 33 years at the College Heights Christian Church, and so you got a lot of sermons. And then we, for many, many, many years, we did uh, five Sunday morning services. So, I mean, I got a lot of sermons, as you could well guess. By the way, it takes a lot of courage to preach a bad sermon five times. I just want you to know that. But anyhow... Well, what, what I recognize, though, is, is, is out of all those sermons, we had a, a resource department, and, and, and my executive assistant was actually the one in charge of overseeing that, and she had a box in there, um, CD box, and it's entitled in great big letters, Randy's Top Ten Sermons. It never had more than seven in it. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> and here's a bad news for you. I'm not preaching one of those seven. Actually, uh, Luke asked if we would come and speak to the leadership. So we will be with your staff and your elders tomorrow. So where do you speak when you're going to, when do you, where do you start if you're going to speak to leadership? And it's going to surprise you, but you start right here. If I'm going to talk about leadership, I have to start here. Some of you will lean over and go, Ethel, we're off the hook today. He's talking to somebody else. No, I'm not. It's a scary thing for me to say, but it's a true thing. You recognize, don't you, that most every single group has the leaders they deserve. Now, it makes me sick at a national level, but, but here's what happens. Every group has a DNA. Every group has a set of passions. Every group has a personality of what you believe a leader should be. And so you tend to elevate out of that DNA. You tend to raise up what the leaders that you should believe should be there. And, and you applaud and you take younger people and you take middle-aged and, and you begin to speak into their life. And as God's calling them, you become partners and you raise up a reflection of what you believe. I know occasionally, don't misunderstand me, occasionally there will be a, a great group that has lousy leaders. 
And every now and then, there's a lousy group that has great leaders. But for the most part, our leaders are our mirror. They are what we've been believing and living and doing. And so if we're going to talk to leaders tomorrow, I've got to talk to you. That's the first reason I would talk to you this morning. Here's the second. The second reason is we need to to think in leadership with a little different lens. I'm going to make a mental jump for you here, but I want you to picture in your mind an iceberg. You know, that's a long way from here. An iceberg has, uh, dependent on the oxygen content of the water, it has 8, 9, 10% of, a, of an iceberg is out of the water. And so, you know, 92, 91, 90% is under the water. There's a profound thing about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not about title and offices. The kingdom of God is about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And when you were baptized into Christ, even if you are a young girl, there is a gift of God into your life that says, let me make you a holy place. In the Old Testament, there are holy places, Mount Sinai and the burning bush and all those things. In the New Testament, there are no holy places. There's only holy people because the holy place is you. And so what happens is God begins to call you as a child of a king, but he moves you into a concept of picking up the mantle of responsibility for the care of God's people. And so when I talk about leadership, there'll be 5, 10, 15% of your congregation that has a title in an office and you know who they are and they might stand here. But some of your finest leaders in this congregation will be a 14-year-old boy who got it. And a 14-year-old boy who began to pick up the mantle of responsibility for the care of God's people. Some of the finest leaders will be that 57-year-old man who spent some time in prison. But he has picked up what God asked him to do and laid it on his shoulders. Some of you in this room would go, wow, talking about leadership has nothing to do with me. No, you're a single mom, and you need to know that the mantle that is laid on your shoulders is a profound mantle. And you get to shape generations afterwards. God gives leadership The very nature of the speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost was not because God has an exclusive thing. It's because it's an inclusive. It has to do with everybody. I'm making you to be that holy people and holy place. And so when we talk about leadership, here's my question. As a father, are you doing that? In the break room at work, are you you that? And then collectively here, are you applauding and raising up good leaders? You recognize that at a spring break, a crowd will cheer people onto their own self-destruction. You live as a selfish individual, and you begin to paper-cut leaders. You can cheer them on to their own self-destruction. Or do you encourage and nourish what God's doing in their life? That's our background. I want you to turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. I'm going to build it out of that this morning just a little bit. We're not going to go a long way, obviously, in the time we have. But 1 Corinthians 4 is a church that decided that Paul and his ilk were not the right kind of leaders. And they were pushing Paul out as a leader and going, no, we want more more leaders that fit our model. Well, they were choosing, if you know your Old Testament scriptures, they were choosing more the King Saul kind of idea. Bad leaders. And so Paul just begins to write and say, do you understand a kingdom lens of leadership? I want to read the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 4. And here is where Paul describes this is God's view of a leader. Verse 1, this then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. 
I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring to light what is hidden in the darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. What we're going to discover in verses 1 and 2, and we're going to walk through this in a second, is there are two key attributes to a kingdom leader. You have those two, I promise you. You have no idea how, God, how far God can take you. But the absence of either one of those will taint your leadership as a mother, will taint it as, as a school principal, it will taint it in every possible way as you are God's man or woman, whatever it is you do. In fact, these are the two you want. Avoid either one of these like the plague. Let's take the first one. Verse 1, chapter 4, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. You don't need to know the Greek language. God made the, the, the Scripture so clear and obvious that any language will take you there. But every now and then, there's a Greek word that, that gives you a little more of a shortcut to help to figure out. You'd see this other places, but it, it, it just has a color to it. If you had the Greek language, I guarantee you day one of learning Greek, there's a Greek word you learn. It's the Greek word doulos. It's the Greek word for servant or slave. Uh, it, it only shows up about 37,200 times in the New Testament. I mean, it's just, it's just their constant, do loss, do loss, do loss, do loss, do loss. So when you read here, this then is how you regard us as, you would just assume it's the Greek word do loss, except it's not. Paul throws a curveball. His curveball is he uses a word that he only uses one time in this context. And it's the Greek word that literally means under rower. What? It's the word for a guy in the bottom of a Roman galley ship. It's the guy who's sitting down on a bench and has a set of oars. And when he begins to scribe that when you understand what God is calling for kingdom leaders, God is not calling the man from up in the, uh, on the top of the ship who's, who's, who's guiding it and the captain of it. When God calls leaders and when God makes you a leader, you need to understand it's not something you achieve. It's not a ladder you climb. It's not something that you, you, you measure up to in the sense of that I've accomplished it. Now God can use me. When you have lost everything, when you have nothing else, when they've even taken your name, when everything is stripped from you, that's what kingdom leadership is. The first great destroyer of leadership will always be arrogance. Arrogance will always destroy kingdom leadership. His concept he's going to actually give is not just an attitude of arrogance. He's going to go further than that. What he's going to say in this book is he's going to say that all legitimate kingdom ministry comes out of weakness. It doesn't come out of sufficiency. It comes out of weakness. Twenty-four times in this book, he will mention it and talk about it. Ten times he will actually park it and say, your leadership as a father, your leadership at the school, your leadership in the break room, your leadership here at church, your leadership with a small group, your leadership on the stage, your leadership as an elder, your, your, your leadership if you preach here doesn't come because you're good enough to lead. It's because I'm inadequate to lead. I don't have anything. We're not going to go through all those 10 passages, but I want you to see at least four of them because I want you to see it in the Scripture. If you look on your Bible, if you've got it open in front of you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, let me start with verse 1. 
And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Verse 3, I'm going to drop down to that. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Let me turn the page for you. Let's go to chapter uh, 4. Look at verse 11. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless, we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless, when we're persecuted, we endure it, when we are slandered, we answer kindly. We become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Can, can I tell you, he's not talking about leadership being prestige. And leadership is you need to know my name. And leadership, you need to treat me with the respect I deserve. And leadership is, I've, I've reached something. His deal is, no. You don't understand. You don't understand. Leadership will come out of your inadequacies. We're going to skip a bunch of passages. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let me start probably around verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we've set our hope that, that he will continue continue to deliver us. Or, or turn to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, starting verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, just mason fruit jars. That's who we are. Just mason fruit jars you get off a Walmart shelf to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. It's not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. I don't know if you know her name, Johnny Erickson Tata. Every generation has those grand individuals alter your life. Johnny Erickson Tata is older than I am by probably four years, something along that line. But Johnny Erickson Tata has been a, somebody who shaped my generation profoundly. She's an incredible speaker, profoundly. You, I've heard her speak in stadiums, and, and the 40,000, it goes silent when she's talking. Her books, Johnny has Johnny and Friends. It's a, an international ministry for the disabled. Johnny has a profound ministry, and what you also need to know is she's a, she's a quadriplegia. At age 17, she dove into a lake, and, and from that accident, no use of legs, hands, or arms. Johnny said, I'm asked at every conference I'm at, somebody will come up, on her wheelchair, she's going down and say, Johnny, I don't know how you do it. Johnny, how do you do it? And she said, you, you can only give a 15 or 20 second convention answer. But she said, if you really want to know how I do it, 
she said, here's the longer answer. She said, at the end of every day, I am so exhausted, I can't imagine living one more day as a quadriplegia. One more day of burdening everybody that you love, one more day of the exhaustion. And she said, my, my husband will take me mentally and physically exhausted and lay me in bed. She said, now, it's, there's a misnomer that, that you have. She said, as a quadriplegia, people think you don't feel pain. She said, that's not the case. She said, no, no, you feel that. So she said, my, I will go to sleep, and just like the rest of you, my shoulder will begin to hurt or my hip will begin to hurt, but I cannot move myself. And she said, I limit myself to three or four times a night waking my husband up because this poor man, he has a life. And, he, and so she said, in between those times, as I'm hurting so bad and I can't move, tears will run out of my cheeks, down on the pillow. And she said, I just simply began to pray, God, I can't handle anymore. God, my emptiness is just beyond what I can bear. And God, how am I going to take care of what you've entrusted to me tomorrow? God, I don't think I'm adequate. She said, my husband will move me three or four times in the night, and then he gets up at four to go do his life. And she said, I can hear my girlfriends in the kitchen getting things around. They're, they're getting the coffee ready. And she said, my girlfriends are going to come in a little bit, and they're going to brush my teeth and bathe me. And they're going to comb my hair. And, and she said, I, I cry out to God, God, I don't even know that I have a smile to give these wonderful women. And she said, every morning, I, I have to cry out, God, I have nothing. She said, many of you think I just found a nice verse in the scriptures when I talk about his mercies are new every morning. She said, that's not just a nice set of verses. It's my testimony. She said, for decade after decade, the thing that I can tell you is that God will make you adequate when you don't have it. And he has met me every morning, morning after morning after morning. And she said, when you say to me, Johnny, I don't know how you do it. My answer is, I am insufficient. I cannot, but it is God. And she said, there's nothing wrong with Christian leaders that I know of of this, except there's an arrogance that they have and a sufficiency Every Christian leader honestly has to come out of insufficiency and dependency. So tell me, how much time did you spend on your knees in your parenting? You tucked your kids in bed and you got on your knees and you prayed, God, I'm not sufficient with attitude or behavior if you don't fill me. How many of you have knelt beside your wife's bed as she began to sleep and say, God, if you don't equip me, I, I'm inadequate. I've been to tons of elders meetings, and I know people who mean well at elders meetings. I've been around all the country, but can I tell you the only thing wrong, and I hate to even use this word, you may have one of them in your congregation. I deliberately didn't ask. The only thing wrong with Tom as an elder is, Tom, you have a quiet arrogance. You care deeply about the Lord, but it doesn't come out of your insufficiency, you, th you, you think you know. It destroys all leadership. A friend of mine named Glenn Elliott, some of you may know Glenn. Glenn preached for a long time in Tucson, Arizona. Sweet gentleman, very humble, very kind man. Glenn's a sweetheart. He was the youth minister of a pretty large congregation, and when the senior minister retired, they asked Glenn, the elders did, would you, Glenn, would you consider becoming our preaching minister? And Glenn thought about it and prayed about it, and he came back and said, yes, uh, I'm humbled you'd ask, but, but yes, I'd, I'd, I'd be willing. 
they, as a part of their process, they said, hey, there's, a, there's an outside team that talks about leadership. We want you to go spend a weekend with them as you prepare for this. And so Glenn went for that weekend, and, and they interviewed him on a Friday, and they said, Glenn, do you think you can lead? And, and Glenn, again, Glenn's a sweet guy. No, and, and, and he said, well, I, 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 I think I can. He said, I, led, I had some gifts to lead in high school, and I, and I, I led a little bit in college, and so I think I've got some gifts, and I've been leading the youth group of, of this congregation for a while, and when they got done, they said, Glenn, we're not really sure you understand kingdom leadership. We're going to meet at 8 in the morning. But between now and then, would you go to Scripture and would you kind of hang out in the New Testament tonight? And in the morning, would you see if you don't have a better view of kingdom leadership? And Glenn said, I was puzzled. And Glenn said, I just began to open the Scriptures and I began to sit in my hotel room, retreat center room. He said, it was around midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. It broke. And he said, when it broke, I just... He said, I wept because he said my entire life I had missed this key truth. Leadership is never attached to your strengths and your strong point and what you think you know. Not in the New Testament. For what it's worth, I have it written multiple places on the top of my Bible because I too broke over this years ago. Glenn said, I began to realize that every time leadership in the scripture is ever spoken of, it's worth words like humbled and broken and nothing and weak and foolish and lowly and inadequate to the task and suffering and hard work and tears and persecuted and dependent. The first great destroyer of anything you do for the kingdom will be arrogance. And the first great antidote is humility. You want to look through Scripture and you find it happening over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. An, Ab, an Absalom, the son of David, who destroys and divides the kingdom because of arrogance. King Saul, his insecurity and his need to be right and his need to be top, and he destroys the kingdom for all practical purposes. In every congregation, there are charismatic individuals that are liked and charismatic individuals who have some strengths. And you can gather a falling around you at any congregation. There'll be people who like you and people who like the way you say it. And there are people who say, well, you're the only one who seems to care for me. And there will be in every congregation, if you let yourself, an Absalom. So how do I advance the kingdom? It comes out of my inadequacy. Being about as serious as a heart attack. Guy walking down the street sees a sign says Ocean Cruises seven dollars, four day Ocean Cruise seven dollars. He goes, "What in the world?" And he walks in and he said, "That sign can't be right, can it? Seven dollars for a four day Ocean Cruise?" They said, "Yes, sir, it is." They said, "Well, tell me about it." He said, "Well, actually, you need to put your seven dollars down and." So he paid $7 and whack. Somebody hit me in the back of the head. He woke up on a board out in the ocean. He's kind of shaking his head, looking around. There's other boards with people on it. And he tried to make a joke, and he said, do they serve meals on this? And the guy said, well, they didn't last year. <laughs> so why do we repeat the same nonsense in house after house? 
Why do we repeat the same crazy stuff? If there's not dependency upon God in your life, I promise you, whatever it is you think you're bringing to the kingdom is not adequate. There's a second key part of it. He goes back to the same verse, chapter 4, verse 1. This is then how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. The second key, humility is the first one. The second key is actually woven in there. You don't know, I mean, it's entrusted. It's, it's actually the Greek word for stewardship. It's the root word whenever you find stewardship. We don't use stewardship in our everyday conversation. In fact, if you come to church and somebody uses the word stewardship, you know we're about to do a fundraising, right? I mean, because stewardship has a particular niche we use. Truth is, stewardship means a relational trust. And here's what he's saying. Leadership comes out of your inadequacy, but it also comes out of a relational trust that God gives you, a relational trust. And the best way I know to describe that relational trust in our, in our day was my, our middle daughter, our middle child our, is a daughter. Katie had gone to PA school. She was back in Joplin um, doing orthopedic surgery, so she's not a kid. Um, Josh had gone to engineering school, gone and worked in Pennsylvania and, and worked for GE, and now he'd come back to Joplin, kind of where he'd started, and they're dating. And Josh gets a hold of me and says, Mr. Garris, can we have breakfast this next week? Well, I knew what was coming, you know. I, I, he was going to ask for a blessing. And, and so we sat down at the table and at, at the restaurant, and, and he starts in, Mr. Garris, you, you, you know what I, probably what I'm thinking here, and, and I'd like to ask. And I, the simple answer would have been yes. I mean, he's a great guy, but I wasn't going to let him off the hook that easy. Good grief. I've waited for years for that moment. <laughs> and honestly, very tenderly, I just simply began to say, Josh, you, you know the answer. It's not going to surprise you, but Josh. And I didn't talk long, but I, I talked about what it was like when they hand you a little 21 or 22-inch little girl. And you give that little girl pony rides on your back, and you sit beside her. She plays the scales, and you have late-night talks. And, and I talked about how deeply I loved that little girl. And my question to him was this, a pretty simple, Josh, will, will she be safe? Will she be taken care of? And Josh, like me, we both had tears that filled our eyes and on our cheeks, and Josh reached across that table and said, Mr. Garris, I give you my word. And we shook hands and exchanged 13 camel and 43 sheep. And, a <laughs> and an iPod. <laughs> and he has more than kept his word. I have said, we've got two daughters, one son and two daughters. Julie and I both made the comment how grateful we are. In fact, I would say I wish my own children had been raised as good a men as they're raising my grandchildren. That's a relational trust. Leadership has almost nothing to do with a vote. They can't vote you into leadership in this congregation, and they cannot vote you out. Christ himself 
as you begin to understand what it's like to pick up the mantle of responsibility for the care of God's people, when you begin to understand the little 22-inch child they handed you, when you begin to understand this is a classroom that God has entrusted to me, when you begin to understand that relational trust, there's a stewardship, and here's where I'm going to make a little change. You need to know that stewardship is going to require a great deal of courage. That's actually the word I'm going to use. Great, great leadership requires humility and courage to take that relational stewardship. The two great destroyers of leadership will always be arrogance or cowardliness. You weren't willing to take that stewardship. I was speaking in Libby, Montana several years ago, and um, in the afternoon, Saturday afternoon, we were sitting around on a porch looking at gorgeous landscape that looks very much like Indiana and Missouri. And we're looking at all of this up there by Libby, and, and, and there's a retired military officer who's sitting there on the, on the porch, and for some reason we got on courage. I don't know how we even got there. But he said we, we, something along the line. He was high in his retirement. I don't even know what, uh, what level he was. But he said, would you like to know the most courageous thing I ever saw? Well, sure, right? And we're picturing some battlefield somewhere, this or that. And he tells it a story. He said, I, was, I went to a military base, and he says, a military base that had stopped being a military base a long time ago had become a country club for officers. It had more perks. It had more self-centered stuff. He said, it had deteriorated from what it should be, and he said, it was a three-ring circus with officers taking care of themselves and their perks. And he said, we got a new base commander. He said, he walked around for a few days, and he said, he, he made a decision, and he said, the perks were going away. There was a particular gate that all the officers, the, high, the, the highbrow officers came in, and the particular door they came through, and he posted a sergeant that day, or a sergeant, a, 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 a private that day, and he said the word had gone out, but the private was to tell all of those officers no. He made the comment, he said, nobody knows how to chew out a soldier as much as an officer. He said, those guys chewed that PFC out all day long. They chewed him up one side and down the other. They were mad, and the PFC had to stand there and take it and still tell them no. The guy telling the story said, I went by late in the afternoon, and the PFC, he said he had tears in his eyes, that his eyes were red, said he had been treated worse than a dog all day long. And he said... While I was standing there talking to him, the base commander came up. Well, immediately the private went into a salute, and the base commander returned the salute. And then the base commander said, I have a command, stand at ease. So the kid went to ease, and he said the base commander saluted the private. The private could hardly keep his hand down. And after the base commander saluted the private, he walked over and took his hand, and he shook the private's hand, and he said, son, thank you. He said, I know I put you through hell today but he, you stood here on my behalf and you did what I ask. Son, I couldn't be more proud of anybody. Thank you. And he said, and I watched that private recognize he'd done something that actually mattered. I do not know what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to say to you, but I'm going to ask you this. Do you have the courage that Christ himself will shake your hand and say where I put you and where I had you? Thank you. You weren't in the easiest situation, and the world is on fire. It's, the world's always been on fire, but, it, but you stood and you did what you ought. Here's what I know. 
Anytime leadership is what it ought to be, it will always have great humility and great courage. And whenever leadership begins to deteriorate into something else, it will either have arrogance or cowardliness. Some of you may need to go home with a wife and apologize and say, I have lived too passive and cowardly in this house. Some of you may need to go to a husband and say, I have lived too arrogant in this house. Some of you may need to go to a small group and say, you know what? I don't think I've been leading as well because I've allowed my cowardliness or my arrogance to influence us. I think sometimes there's leaders in this congregation you may need to go to and say, I don't know that I've cheered you on in the direction I should go. I think I've given you paper cuts because of my own particular. But you find a group of people who will hang on as tightly as they can to our inadequacy in a God who makes us adequate and hang on to the courage of this relational trust that God gives us. And I'll show you people who will turn the world upside down. May this church be those people. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would greatly bless, greatly impact what you want to do in this church. Father, you will not do it with our sufficiency. You'll do it by your spirit and our inadequacies. Father, may we recognize that and embrace it. And Father, those who've given a, been given a trust must prove faithful. Father, find us that. In Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.